Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get started. Today, we're studying a verse in Hebrews that will no doubt be familiar to you but perhaps you haven't paid close attention to the second part of the verse. Join us now as we listen to the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4, verse 12. To begin our lesson, we start with the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym. SP represents the word speaker. A represents the word audience. C represents context. And E, explanation. We created this acronym to remind Bible students to think about who is speaking and to whom, what was happening at the time, and the theme and message of the verses leading up to our scripture reading. We believe it's critical to consider these things before attempting to interpret scripture. So let's use the space method here. The speaker is an elder and respected church leader, but the specific author is unknown. Right, many believe it was the Apostle Paul based on contextual clues, but there's also evidence it was not Paul. Yeah, some say Barnabas, Silas, Luke, Philip, Priscilla, or even Aquila. And of course, ultimately, we should keep in mind, the author is the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, the audience here is the Hebrew Christians. We must always keep in mind to see if a passage of Scripture is written to the Jews or the Gentiles or both. Why? Because the message to the Jews was different than the message to the Gentiles. Yes, the Jews were nationally saved just by being God's people. As our founder, Pastor Gary Whipple, used to say, they were saved on the layaway plan. Right, and the Gentiles had no such heritage. God always dealt with them individually as the, quote, engrafted, end quote. The audience here is definitely the Hebrew Christians, so we should look for references to the Old Testament as well as the New. Another question we should ask, were these Hebrew Christians mature or immature in their faith? It's apparent from the letter that they were somewhat immature because they needed to be reminded that the Old Covenant no longer applied and the rituals and traditions of Judaism lacked any true spiritual power. Right, Jordan. And to address this properly, why don't we go to Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, and it reads like this. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food or meat. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food or meat is for the mature, 
who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Yeah, the milk and the meat, that's a contrast we use often to talk about the difference between the elementary teachings of Christianity, essentially, which is that Christ died for our sins and rose again, and you know we have to believe in that and accept the gift, and the meat of the word, which is the, the more you know, chewy, digging in, you know, think of it like a steak, stuff that you can sink your teeth into that really only a mature human can eat meat, a baby can't eat meat. Sure. So it's the same thing spiritually. Exactly. And, and to break it down simply, milk represents the teaching in the Bible regarding the first coming of Christ, how we receive spiritual salvation. Right. And anywhere in the Bible that speaks of the second coming of Christ, when Jesus comes back to rule and reign, and what us Christians try to do to be able to attain to the opportunity to come back and rule and reign with Christ is scriptures pertaining to meat. So that's that's the difference there. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, it was the the author of Hebrews that felt compelled to make you know the the reader understand that this was somewhat of an immature group that wasn't fully developed to where they needed to be at the time. So, but moving on, let's talk about the context and. The context here is a time of intensifying persecution. Right. It's a few years before AD 70, which is when Emperor Titus and Commander Tiberius sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the Second Temple. So being a Christian at this time meant physical risk. Yes. And Hebrews 11:37 says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute afflicted and ill-treated. At the same time, the Levitical priesthood and sacrificial system were still in place, so there was a lot of temptation and pressure to sort of backslide into Jewish practices and downplay the glory of Jesus Christ, perhaps, you know, downgrading him to an angel or something. Right, and Hebrews 1 and 2 are direct rebuttal to this idea, Jordan, and Hebrews 3 establishes Jesus as the supreme example of faithfulness, and it exhorts the church members to follow his example and remained faithful as he did. And the author compares the Hebrews' tribulations to those of the Israelites in the wilderness following the exodus from Egypt. Yes. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says things like, the exodus happened to the Israelites for exactly this reason. And it's to be used as an example for their instruction. These verses in Hebrews use several such examples, for instance, using symbols from the past to reveal spiritual truths about the future. Yeah, I just want to jump in and, and talk about that. So, you know, you, you mentioned in 1 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul kind of connects here with Hebrews and says that these things happen to the Israelites as examples for us. Yes. That's what we call these connections between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's typology or type. And type just means symbol or example. Right, kind of like a foreshadow, if you will, into things that will come true eventually. Right. For instance, the promised land is used in Hebrews as a type of the day of rest or second coming. It speaks of Christ's return to rule and reign over the earth, a.k.a. the thousand-year or millennial kingdom in prophecy. Yeah, and also like wandering in the wilderness, which is what Israel did, is a type of the tribulations that Christians might have right now in the world. And the author says if the Hebrews are obedient, they will be allowed to enter into God's rest. And if they're disobedient, they will fall short and will not be allowed to enter. Right. The verse before our scripture reading, in fact, verse 11 says, Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. And that's a reference, of course, to the Israelites who fell short and were not able to enter the promised land. Excellent, Jordan. And for clarity to our listeners, could you please explain to them the difference between entering into the rest 
and having everlasting life. Because I think that there might be, you know, maybe some confusion to people who don't know the difference between salvation of the spirit and salvation of the soul. Not to, to misread or misunderstand what God is trying to say in Hebrews on this particular verse. Yeah, I mean, I, I could just pull out Moses for an example. So Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. That by no means meant that Moses went to hell, right? Yeah, we read in Jude, of course, good example, that the archangel Michael actually fought with Satan over the bones of Moses. So obviously he still had you know great value to God for that to happen. Yeah, and if Moses is the person you have to beat in your life to get to be saved from hell, then we're all in big, big trouble. Right. So, so I think, you know, entering into God's rest has to mean the, the kingdom, essentially, the reward, if you will, um, and not salvation from hell. Otherwise, Moses and everyone else is doomed. Right. So you could pretty much, we can assume, and I guess or make a very educated assumption, that the entire context of the book of Hebrews is to direct Christians, a, a group of people back then who were already saved, to lead a life the appropriate way so that they will make it into the what they would understand because those Hebrews at the time read the Old Testament and they read about the promised land and about how Moses passed the baton to Joshua and Joshua led the Israelites into the promised land. The author of Hebrews here is, is trying to show Christians today that now that we're saved, it doesn't stop there. Right. That we need to continue our journey and enter that promised land or something greater than just everlasting life that the Lord wants to give us if we live faithfully. Yeah, and there's there's a much deeper uh, lesson there with Moses and seeing the promised land versus entering the promised land, but we don't have time to get into it. It's also a diversion. But now that we know the speaker audience and context of our scripture reading today, we're ready to attempt an explanation. That's Again, that's the space method, right? Look at the speaker, look at the audience, understand the context. Now we're going to go into an explanation. So I'm going to read it again, uh, p- portions of it, Andy. Maybe you can just comment. I'll, let's, let's break it down. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active. Yeah, so we know that our word, the, the word that the Lord gave us, this book is not a dead book like so many other books. It's actually alive with the power of God. And we also know in Scripture that the Bible says that that heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word shall never perish. So we know that you know even after the, the millennial kingdom and the kingdom of the Father begins, that the word of God that we read now will probably still be read for all eternity. Amen. It continues, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. Yeah, so let's focus on that phrase, Jordan, soul and spirit and joint and marrow. Um, This will be the first time I believe many of our listeners will have heard a distinction between the word soul and the word spirit. And many believe those words are possibly interchangeable or have the same meaning, but that's actually incorrect. In common English, you know, we make no distinction, but in the Bible, they're definitely separate and distinct. Yeah, here's one example, a passage from the Gospel of Luke known as the Magnificat, that is Mary's hymn. It's Luke 1, 46 to 47. And Mary said, my soul exalts the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Good example, Jordan. And I actually have another one as well. Um, if we pick up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it reads, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is specific because God actually makes makes a point to put the word end in between each one of those three items. 
spirit and soul and body. So, you know, obviously it was important to God that we distinctly know the differences. Right. So when you read that, it's not repeating itself for no reason. And in fact, if you go into the New Testament Greek, which is always important to do in situations like this to get a better window on it, you see very clearly that the word soul and spirit are different words. And that really leads us into a core concept that we teach and that we call the Trinity of man. You know, Trinity means three in one. And of course, everyone is familiar with the divine Trinity, which is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what our listeners may not know is that man, who was made in God's image, of course, is also a trinity. Yeah, the trinity of man is in full view here in Hebrews 4.12. The soul and the spirit and the joints and marrow, which is another way of saying the body. And if you get into the original Greek and, and you try to understand what, this, what it's saying here, it's better translated as mind, spirit, and body. Because we've all heard the phrase mind, body, and spirit, of course, and that's true to the real meaning of this passage. So let's break it down a little further, Jordan. Okay, so the mind. Let's start with the mind. We sometimes refer to the mind as our psyche, as in the word psychology. And the Greek word translated soul here in Hebrews, and also in the Magnificat and in the passage you read from First Thessalonians, is suche, which is sounds and looks like on the page our word psyche. And for good reason. It's the same root word. Yeah, I mean, our mind is our consciousness, and it's our knowledge, it's our memories of our life. Uh, you know, in fact, the word is also translated life in other places in the Bible. And here's a key truth of Christianity. Our mind and our life must be cleansed continually because they're constantly getting contaminated with sin. Okay, so moving on to the body, you know, it's not too complicated. It's the physical body. In Greek, it's the word soma, from which we get our English word somatic. And if you ever studied biology or medicine, you've heard of somatic cells or body cells. Yeah, I mean, combining this word and the previous one, we get our English word psychosomatic or the mind controlling the body. And here in Hebrews, the author uses the words joints and marrow to describe the body. And if you look at it in the New Testament Greek, it's more like the enclosure of the joinings or AKA the flesh. So you kind of think of it as like connective tissue and, and the internals of the physical state of the, of the person. And that word flesh is also familiar to Christians because we often speak of, you know, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, our sin nature and our divine nature. We even have a saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, which actually comes from something Jesus taught in the garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26. Yeah, and you know, the body is an important part of the trinity of man because we will will have a physical body in the next life, just like Christ does right now in heaven. He has a body, a physical body. Right. And it will be a restored body free of death and disease, and also at the same time, a glorified body, only if we qualify to rule and reign with Christ, which we will find out at the Bema seat or judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, it's very important, the body, you know, because we tend to, I guess, in spiritual philosophy, world religion, whatever, we often think of, you know, the people think of the body as a restrictor, something that we're going to shed and we're going to become spiritual beings of light and, and all these nice concepts. But the body is central to Christianity because we were, we were created with a body and it's going to be restored to its Adam state or Eve state. Exactly. And then glorified as Christ has a physical body. He's not just a, you know, actually, you know, we talked about this, this false doctrine of Jesus Christ was an angel, but the body was critical to, to who Christ was and to refuting those false teachings because he has a physical body now in heaven. We're going to have physical bodies in heaven. And for some reason that the body seems to be key to the theology of Christianity. Yeah, I mean, good point. I mean, if you think about it, the body is is the vessel that carries the spirit and the soul. 
right? right? So there's a reason why, you know, we don't understand, but God has a purpose. It's a very important purpose. So in order for us to be able to work, in order for us to be able to function, to move to and fro, we need that physical body. I mean, our mind, you know, could be at, at you know, in process of thinking or planning, but it's the body that has to carry out that that process, whether it's speaking, whether it's moving, whatever our choice is, it's the body that carries out what the mind and the spirit leads it to do. And also we always have to remember that we're made in God's image. You know, God, Jesus didn't, you know, convert himself to look like man. I mean, obviously God has always been, right. is and always will be. So we are made in, in his image. Right. So, you know, when we get to heaven, I'm sure we'll see everything for what it really is. But it's just something that's important to realize that, you know, a lot of Christians might overlook that point. They might think, well, when I die, my spirit's in heaven and, and it ends there. No, like you said earlier, I mean, when, you know, when we, when man who Adam represented all mankind, when he fell, he fell spirit, soul, and body. And when Jesus, the second Adam came and he redeemed us, it needs to be redeemed complete. Right. Body, soul, and, you know, exactly. So the body is a very important part of the trichotomy of man that needs to be saved as well. And by the way, you can't understand the deeper truths, the kingdom truths, the meat of the word, unless you understand this, because there are many passages of the Bible where, you know, for example, being bound hand and foot and cast into outer darkness. You can't mm. understand that unless you understand the body and its purpose. It's a vessel of action, as you said. Yeah. The binding signifies not being able to do works anymore. You had your chance. I mean, there's and there's also the second death, the slaying of the body, separate from the soul and the spirit. So if you don't understand these this core concept, you're never going to understand some of the really mysterious, complicated things in the Bible about judgment and what happens after we die and restoration of the body and all that stuff. Right. Good stuff. So let's look at the third final part of the trichotomy of man. It's the spirit. And this word in Hebrews and the Magnificat in Luke says it's it's actually the word pneuma, which means a blast of air. Right. So mechanics and NASCAR fans will know that word since a pneumatic wrench is used to loosen and tighten the lug nuts on a wheel. And it makes that distinctive sort of air blast sound. So the pneuma is the spirit, and it also has the connotation of the divine spirit or the divine wind. Yeah, for instance, when Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 that he must be born again of water and the spirit, that word there is a form of pneuma. And when he later tells him in that same passage that the wind blows where it wishes, that word wind is also a form of pneuma. So why is this important? Well, consider Genesis. How does it say man was created? Genesis 2.7 says, then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Right, Jordan. So our spirit can be viewed as our piece of the divine breath, if you will, the divine wind, uh, the divine spark. It's the animation energy of God within us. So to recap, this is the trinity of man, the mind, body, and spirit, and they're each different words in the Greek. The mind is suche, the body is soma, and the spirit is pneuma. And all three parts of a person, the mind, body, and spirit, must be saved. And that's sort of a much longer, deeper study. Yeah, and actually, Jesus gives us a little glimpse in Scripture um, of, of how there is a difference distinctly and why it's important to understand the difference. So if we go, if you will, go with me to Matthew twenty four fifty, and I will read it for everyone. And it says, The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
Yeah, so that Greek word for cut in pieces, according to Strong's, is dichotomia, which, you know, dichotomy, right? Which is where we got that English word from. And it means division into two mutually exclusive, opposed, or contradictory groups. Right, Jordan. So we see here that, you know, to, going back to the context of this parable that Jesus is, is telling the reader, telling his disciples, is we see that he's warning even the most faithful Christian that if they eat and drink with the drunkards or beat their fellow servants, mm-hmm. that God will actually dichotomize, separate right. them into two, um, splitting them. And, he, and of course, he's he's alluding to a future judgment at the Bema seat. And that's what I was referring to earlier, because you can't even begin to understand that if you don't understand the importance of the body and the fact Absolutely. that that man is in three parts, because then you, you get into some sort of weird doctrine where like, Half of you was saved and half of you was not saved. And of course, we know all that is nonsense and not scriptural. So to understand this, what the, what he's saying here to his disciples, you really have to understand the parts of man and that they can be separated. And this, like I said, there's a much deeper topic here, a longer study, many passages of scripture we can go into to sort of explain this further. But it really is sort of the main message of our ministry. Absolutely. Well said. So, you know, suffice to say, our faith in Jesus's complete work on the cross was the salvation of our spirit. And constantly confessing our sins and doing godly works is the salvation of our souls. And the translation of our body at the rapture will be the salvation of our individual bodies. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom. 
a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you liked what you heard today and want to go deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes, but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of Scripture we're studying. So if you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thank you so much for your 20 minutes. I'm Andy Balog. And I'm Jordan Pine. May God bless you. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. All rights reserved, Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.